you join me in John chapter 3? John chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 22. Last week we finished up the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, and we looked at the gospel there in Genesis 3, 6, or, or John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That really comes out clear in the movie tonight, by the way. Just pumping that again. Don't sit on the couch tonight. Come on down. Let's get together as Christians and and uh, rejoice in that picture of the cross when Jesus laid down his life for us. When we get here to this next section in verse 22, we see Jesus retiring into the Judean countryside. There are various reasons for this, pulling away from the crowds again. We see Jesus doing this very often in the gospel records. And I want to just notice what goes on. We're going to read a prolonged section here, but I think it's important we get the entire section. And then after reading it, we'll look to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we'll just kind of dig into it this morning. We'll get about halfway through it. I want us to get the whole thing in our mind. So let's begin in verse 22. After this, after the conversation, Jesus has met with Nicodemus and all the things that Jesus had to say to Nicodemus. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them. Doesn't say for how long. This isn't like for a year. It's probably weeks. He remained there with them, and then notice what it says about what's going on. And was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim. And the reason he was baptizing there was because water was plentiful there. This is a spring. It's not actually the river itself. It's a spring. There's enough water there. He's in a location where people can come to him, and he is baptizing there. People were coming to him and being baptized. And then we have a parenthesis that's very important when we think about the rest of the gospel accounts and what happens to John very shortly. For John had not yet been put in prison. Why did John get put in prison? For confronting sin in the highest office of the land. And for that confrontation of sin, he is put in prison, and then there is a scheme and a diabolical plot, and he loses his head. He's not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew 
over purification. Now, I want you to draw a line in your Bible or in your mind, whatever you like to do, between the word purification and baptism. Clearly, that's the context. Clearly, that's the link. So, what happens is a discussion is arising between some of John's disciples, and it doesn't say some of Jesus' disciples. It says, and a Jew. Now, whenever it says a Jew in John's gospel, it's not just talking about an Israelite, someone who is Jewish by birth or by faith. When it says a Jew, it is a specific reference to the group of Jews who, as we saw in the scripture reading this morning in John chapter 12, hated Jesus and go about trying to destroy everything he's at. They were the Jews, it says. They were the Jewish leaders. And so this is a guy somehow again attached to the hierarchy of Judaism, and he is now talking to John's disciples about purification. That's obviously telling us one of the reasons of baptism. Baptism has a symbol, a symbolic value in teaching us about the forgiveness of sins and the washing from sin. And so there is a purification rite. And because of that, they're having this discussion. And so then they come to John. John's disciples do. And they said to him, nothing about purification here. Rabbi, he who was with you, notice the way they phrase this. He who was with you, they're looking to John as the head guy. And somebody came and was with you. He who was with you across the Jordan, the one to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and everybody is going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing, unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Why does he say my joy is complete? Because now everybody is going to Jesus. John's disciples are a bit threatened by this, aren't they? Look, the one who came to you, who you baptized, he is now baptizing and everyone's going to him. John's reply, my joy is fulfilled. He must increase, 
but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Obviously in heaven, where he came from, yet no one is receiving his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the very words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son. And he has given all things to his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall never see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees, now this tells us again who this Jew is. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and then there's another parenthesis that is very interesting. Although Jesus himself did not baptize, it was his disciples. He left Judea, and he went back to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Let's pray. Lord, as we stoop our hearts and our minds before these verses this morning for just a few minutes, I pray that you would instruct us, you would teach us, in the way that we should go. That, Lord, you would guide us with your very eye upon us. Help us not to be like the horse and mule it talks about in Psalm 32 that has to be restrained with bit and bridle. Help us to, Lord, be submissive. More like the colt of a donkey that was in your hand on that day that you rode it down the streets of Jerusalem. Bless us in your word this morning for these few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just look at the flow of the text as we start this morning and think about what we're seeing here, and then we'll get into the applications and, and kind of drive home some points for us today as we study these verses. First of all, in verse 22 to 26, we have the incident that provides a context. The incident, of course, is Jesus has retired from Jerusalem where he was for the Passover. And instead of going immediately back to Galilee, where did he go? He went, into, he went over into the Judean countryside. And there in the countryside, his disciples, it tells us in chapter 4, are the ones who are doing the baptism. Jesus, though, has put his stamp of approval on it, obviously. So this incident provides the context for the conversation 
that then happens between not Jesus and anybody, but between who? John's disciples and John the Baptist. This is the last conversation in the ministry of John that we have in the Gospel of John. Excuse me. John, though, the Gospel of John was not written by John the Baptist, was it? No, John the Baptist had lost his what? Head. And this is written by the Apostle John. Always make sure you get those straight in your mind. Second thing is this. Next thing you see is this is John's last witness concerning Jesus. You may remember in chapter 1, when we studied there, John said, I came to bear witness to him. How did he bear witness to him? The father had told him, when you see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and remaining on somebody, that's the one. And what did John say of him? Look, look, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And he tells the people that in John chapter 1. This now is his last witness concerning Jesus. In verses 27 to 30, which we will look at this morning briefly, we see John's relationship to Jesus. In verse 31 to 37, we see Jesus' relationship to all mankind. And what essentially is his relationship to all mankind? He is above all. He is above all. But he condescended to die for us. And we'll see that in that text when we get to it. And then we see the occasion, just there again for context, of Jesus' return to Galilee, and we see him going through Samaria. He doesn't do what most good Jews of his day did, which is cross the Jordan River, go up on the east bank of the Jordan River, and go back into Galilee so you wouldn't be contaminated by those despised, despicable Samaritans. No, it says he must needs go through Samaria. Why? Because he had an appointment there with a woman at the well. We'll look at that in some weeks to come. There is a dispute over baptism. This dispute is not over how to baptize. It's over what? How many were being baptized? Right? Now, in church history, there's been a lot of disputes over how to baptize, when to baptize, you know, what it means, all that. There's been a lot of disputes over baptism. But don't get me wrong, there's no dispute over how to baptize here. That's not what's going on here when they're talking about this discussion about purification. The dispute that is going on between John, his disciples, this Jew, and then what they feel about Jesus is not over how he is baptizing people, it's over how many people are going to Jesus. And they feel threatened by this, don't they? They definitely do. There is a hint. Maybe it's not even a hint. There is a hint of jealousy here. Look! Everybody's going to him. What happened to you? So there is a hint of jealousy because they were once the 
big guys in town. They once had the flourishing ministry and everybody was going to their boss. Everybody was going to John the Baptist. But John the Baptist baptized Jesus and he said, look, the Son of God, follow him. And everybody did. And now all of a sudden they went from the big crowds to now a little crowd and they were out at a spring in Anon. And pretty shortly he's going to be baptized. He's going to be He's going to have a baptism of martyrdom. He's going to lose his head. And his ministry is going to end. And I think there is obviously in what they say, this is important, there is an attempt to provoke John to jealousy. They're miffed, and they want him to be miffed too. Now, this one we're not even going to consider today. Because of time. But if John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, then what was Jesus' baptism at this stage? And is it the same thing as what he says in Matthew 28? Did these people who get baptized get rebaptized again in Matthew after Matthew 28 and after his death? Because we know that the disciples of John got baptized in the name of Jesus. It tells us that clearly in Acts 19. So what is really going on here? I got a lot of thoughts about that. Since I got a lot of thoughts about it, we're not going to talk about it today because I'll never get to the most important point that I want to hit, so we'll just move on. You do your own study on that one. John's disciples. Martin Luther was the guy who said, Lord, save me from my disciples. Martin Luther was a great man who did some great reformation. And there were some people who followed Martin Luther and took things that he taught and they went to seed on it and they went somewhere not very good. And there were peasant wars in Germany that cost the lives of about 50,000 people. Lord, save me from my disciples. John's disciples, you know, their pride has taken a blow here. They are no longer the big gig in town. They, you know, they raise an issue. And this is important to think about because this is really something that we need to key in on as individuals. When we're having conversation with people, they raise an issue in order to raise a doubt and to plan a thought. They are not coming to John genuinely concerned here about the purification rite of baptism. What are they concerned about? Our pride has been hurt, and we want you to know it, and we want you to validate it. They want some validation to what they are thinking. They raise an issue in order to raise a doubt about the ministry of Jesus. Having said that, in this case, the issue is not the issue. The issue is only a toe in the door because of a disgruntled spirit on their part, isn't it? That's exactly what's going on in the human heart here. Remember the proverb? The words of a whisperer. They are like dainty morsels that go down into the belly, but they sour there. And they separate chief friends. 
And these men come to John, whom they love, whom they have followed. Look, everybody's following Jesus. They're not following you. What's wrong with this picture? Do you really think Jesus is the guy? All those kind of things are being sown into the mind of John. Has someone ever done that to you? I imagine they have. People have done it to me. And you know what? I've done it. Right? You've done it. We get disgruntled. We don't like something happened. We got an issue. Maybe our feelings got hurt. Misery loves company, doesn't it? You know, who wants to be miserable alone? If I'm going to be miserable, I may as well make somebody else miserable with me. And so what do we do? We go to our friend at the coffee shop and we say, look. And we do the same thing. How does John respond? How do you respond when that happens? You know, when that happens, don't think, oh, that is the worst person that ever lived that's doing that. You know why? Because we all do it, right? We all do it. No, they're not the worst person that ever lived. They're just walking in the flesh at that moment. And their spirit is dealing with an issue, and they're dealing with it in the wrong way. So what do you do? Do you just go along with it? Do you just feed it? What does John do? Notice John's response. By the way, there is a practical application. The practical application is this. Jesus and John are on the very same team, aren't they? They're shooting at the very same goal. They're seeking to please the same master. So it is with other Christians, right? You know, just because someone does it a little differently than we do, within the bounds, I'm talking within the bounds of biblical orthodoxy, okay, doesn't mean they're evil heretics and we're the perfect ones that we got it all right. Does it mean that? No, not at all. You know, and I, I could go into this this morning, you know, the difference between denominationalism and sectarianism. When you think about a denomination, there are many different churches out there that do it a little bit different, but still believe in biblical orthodoxy. Denominations are a practical means for people to worship along lines of conscience. So that when they worship according to their conscience, they're not slaying their conscience by something that they don't agree with. It's a practical means of that. But no denomination is the body of Christ, is it? And when we allow denominationalism to become sectarian division, it's wrong. And it's a party spirit and it's flesh. You know, I was thinking about this last Sunday night at Cowboy Church. I didn't think anybody would be at Cowboy Church because everybody was gone for spring break. But we had a huge Cowboy Church. We had just a lot of people there last week, Sunday night, and a lot of people from other churches. That's good. I love it. But you know what? We don't have some secret agenda to try to steal them from their church, do we? No, not in the least. 
But we come together and we worship in that setting together. It's important we think about those things as we think about our heart and we think about some of the things that we see here. Sometimes as Christians, we do exactly the thing that John's disciples are doing and we get into this party spirit of competition. We are not in competition with any other Bible-believing church in this valley, right? And we should never feed those thoughts. There is not competition there. We are on the same team, shooting for the same goal, seeking to please the same master. That doesn't mean we all do it the same. John shoots them down. Rather than nursing a wounded pride and listening to their unjust critique, This man reveals the depth of his commitment to Jesus, his loyalty to Christ, and he testifies to the truth. Now, there are four things that he does. Number one, he gives them a gentle reminder that everything we are and have comes from God. Secondly, he gives them a recollection of what he had already told them. What did he say? They said, look! He's baptizing. Everybody's going to him. But what did Jesus say? Look, the Lamb of God, follow him. And he reminds them of that. He says, I told you I am not the Christ. He is. He then gives an illustration of a time when you're not the main attraction, but the day is someone else. And when you're at that day and you're the bridegroom's friend, what do you do? You know that's not your day to put on the show. You know, if you're the best man and you got to give the speech, you're not there to steal the show. You're there to put the limelight on who? The groom. The bride. You're there to make their day special. It's not about you. It's about them. And that's exactly the illustration he uses. You can go into the Jewish customs of the day with a wedding and those things play into this. But the main point is simply this. John is telling them, this is not my day, it's his day. And we're going to make him great. He's the hero of the story, not me. And he puts the attention on Jesus. And then there is a concluding remark. He says, he must increase. I must decrease. Now, I want to just think about this one for a minute. He gives a gentle reminder that everything we are and have comes from God. Look at the text. He says this. In verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Now think about the beauty of what he says in that verse. Notice the word receive. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from heaven. Now, he uses the word receive. If John took the glory, he would be stealing. We receive from God. We don't take. We receive. He gives to us. What do I possess 
that you did not give to me. No. It's a gift. But when I try to go and take, I take for myself, it's wrong. It always is. And John is just saying that. Look, I have received something from heaven. What I have received from heaven is a ministry of bearing witness to Jesus. I'm not going to take the glory that alone is his. He is giving them a gentle reminder that everything we are and have comes from God. Who you are, your gifts, your callings, your family are given to you by God. Receive them with joy. Don't compare yourselves with others. Don't wish you were something else. We live in a world that is saturated with a covetous spirit. That's exactly what's going on in this trans stuff. I want to be something I'm not. Receive what you are. Receive what you are as a gift from God. Okay, so Paul mentions this in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, brothers, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Now, what was going on? Apollos and Paul were being played against each other in the church at Corinth, and there was division. And Paul was addressing that in chapter 1 through chapter 3. And then he says, now I've applied all this to Paulus for your benefit, so you learn something. Don't think anything beyond what is written. The purpose is that none of you will be inflated with pride in favor of one person over another. For who makes you so superior? And what do you have you did not receive? And if you received it, then why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? And that's exactly what John is getting at. Everything we have has been given to us by God. Receive it with gratitude. Don't always be fretting and thrashing around in your mind wishing you were something or someone else. Be who God called you to be. Jesus bears this out to Peter. Peter and Jesus have a conversation on the beach in Galilee after Peter had denied the Lord three times. The Lord says to him, do you love me? After that whole correction and restoration, Peter turns around on the beach and he sees the disciple that Jesus loved following them. And this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw John coming along behind him, he said, Lord, what about him? Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Don't compare. Don't pit. His concluding remark, he must increase, he must grow. That's the word to increase. Um, Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians when he says, I planted, Apollos watered. God gave the increase. God caused it to grow. And so what we see here, John is saying, he's going to grow. He's going to increase, but I must fade away. And that's a present infinitive with a passive voice that's saying, John's not taking himself out of the limelight. No, as Jesus grows, he is simply fading away. 
He is still active in ministry, doing what God has called him to do, but he's fading into the background. You know, the longer we live, the more the person of Jesus should pervade our being so that we are slowly fading into the background and he is becoming increasingly the focus of everything we are. He must increase, I must decrease. You know, Palm Sunday is the day we celebrate today. Is it a donkey's tail? Is it a story about a donkey? No. The donkey carried Jesus. It wasn't about the donkey. Can you imagine what's going on in the donkey's mind? I don't know, I guess. I don't know whatever goes on in the donkey's mind. But people are putting down palm leaves in front of me. And palm branches are being cut down and laid on the road so it's easy for me to walk. And they're putting down their coats. Wow, people must really like me, the donkey. It wasn't about the donkey. It was about the one on the donkey's back. It's easy to be like the donkey. I think it's about me. He must increase. I must fade away. Let it be so. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth. We pray that as we close this morning, you would dismiss us with your love. I pray that, Lord, as we go through this entire week and we worship you and in our own devotions during the week, perhaps time we set aside as believers, that, Lord, the sacrifice that you made for us and then your triumph over the death and grave would become increasingly sweet to us. Lord, we pray that people would see Jesus in us, and as it said in John, that we read this morning when the Pharisees were disgruntled, and they said, look, the whole world is going after him. Lord, may you increase. 